0: Episode 140 of Aloha for June 6th, 2015. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Alohomora, com's global book club reread of the Harry Potter series. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Eric Skull.
1: And I'm Kristen Keyes. And this week we have special guest with us, Danielle. Say hello, Danielle. Hi, everyone.
2: Tell us about yourself, Danielle. What Hogwarts house are you in? Come on down. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Hufflepuff. Yay! Yes! <laughs> i know right <laughs> <laughs> so i actually i shouted so loud that my ear earbuds fell out i leaned back <laughs> and pulled out my
0: earbuds. yes awful puff danielle right, are puff you pride. on are you on the main site or the forums
3: i am but it's very rare because usually i listen to the show like a week after it premieres so i don't get to comment in time
0: oh what, what's your username there
3: it's probably just my name, Danielle Parnhouse. <laughs> yeah,
2: Danielle doesn't play that game of trying to come up with like the wittiest, you know. I know I'm not as creative. I that. She's like, I, I got so nobody good. to impress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: that's good. Well, what Danielle? What is your what, what is your background with Harry Potter? When did you get into it?
3: Um, I got into it when I was around ten. Uh, before i got into it kind of thought it was stupid and then i actually saw it at toys r us like a big uh, setup of the first three books and i was like wow Mm -hmm. these actually look pretty awesome and so i bought the second one and i've been hooked ever since
0: Oh, you were a convert. Yay. (laughs) Yes. We love those. I know. It's nice to be able to actually, like, show people that it can be done. You can be turned from a hater (laughs) to a lover. Is that that shocking?
2: Because I feel like anybody who actually has read the books, oh, immediately.
0: Well, you know, there are people who can be (laughs) super adamant about not reading the books. Yeah, Yeah, well, that's true. true. I mean, yeah.
3: That's true. Mm, I have a friend who doesn't like them at all. She's read all seven.
0: Oh, goodness. It's sad.
3: I know.
2: Some people can't be reached, I
0: guess, yeah. by the the it's, divine hand. It's a pity. Yeah, it can happen. It can. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you on the show, Danielle.
3: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
2: For Danielle and us, we are going to be getting into a lovely discussion on everyone's favorite chapter from Harry Potter and the Half Blood <laughs> Prince, Chapter Twenty Two, called "After the Burial." Burial. Burial, depending on how you say that word, um, and that is the discussion for today. So definitely make sure that you have read that chapter. Hint, It's the chapter with Felix Felicis, uh, but it's before, not called Felix Felices because that's but it's a different not it, That's a different chapter. <laughs>
0: um,
2: before going on with uh, our main discussion,
1: yes, we are going to go into our recap comments from last week, chapter twenty-one. Our first comment comes from Slytherin Knight, and they say. Thank you, thank you so much for talking about how Harry is so lazy in Half-Blood Prince. I can't recall which host talked about it early on in the episode, but that has always been my biggest peeve with Half-Blood Prince, even more so than the romance that is thrust upon us in the book. My favorite books were books 3 through 5 because we see Harry actively trying to better himself and growing into the powerful wizard that we know he can be. But then in Half-Blood Prince, Harry pretty much becomes Ron. He constantly looks for the easy way out of doing things, getting Slughorn's memory, using the potions books, etc. In Prisoner of Azkaban, we see Harry actively seek out Mooney to learn the Patronus Charm. In Goblet of Fire, Harry learns a ton of new spells for the tournament, and then in Order of the Phoenix, teaching the DA and learning even more spells. But in Half-Blood Prince, Harry regresses to someone who must have everything handed to him. I feel that J.K. Rowling really did Harry a disservice by having his character fall so much after Order of the Phoenix from a powerful wizard who is still growing into his own to a lazy, plodding Mm -hmm. boy who must have things handed to him or seeks out the easiest path to figure things out
2: ooh
1: burn. <laughs> i know ouch
0: no Some, somebody harry. get charlie on the line <laughs> <laughs> the dragon burn <laughs> no that no <laughs> i thought
1: it went a little too much i don't think harry's that lazy i think he's just a 16 year old boy
2: see it is an interesting take though yeah to oh, definitely as, to see harry as active active
0: active and then not yeah no, I you know the, that's the and that's the reason I like this book actually mm-hmm. is because and there's a there's a moment I can't I I think it was in the previous chapter or one right before it where um, isn't it that Harry and Ron and Hermione are sitting around outside and they see two characters who we've never seen before called the Montgomery sisters yeah oh, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and and are and Hermione and Ron's like why are they looking so sad and Hermione mm-hmm. it's because their brother died. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it, or something to that effect, like yeah. something horrible happened to their brother. I don't. Uh, I don't remember if he was the one who died or if he was the. I think he was the one who yeah, died. He died. He was bitten by Fenrir Griswold. Yes. 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 Yeah. And yep, so, I think that encompasses what this is talking about. Mm-hmm. When okay, when a threat is not a, an immediate threat, it's it it does become less important to you when you're a teenager. Um, if it's not. Your if it's not your immediate world that's been affected, and Harry's immediate world, I think in the previous books, has been affected. Um, mm. You know, Ooh. books. Perfect example with Slytherin Knight saying, "My favorite books were three through five because we see Harry actively trying to better himself and growing." It's because he has to, <laughs> you know. Well, uh,
2: yeah, I I would make a sort of a, a different attempt at also negating this comment, or not, but disagreeing with this comment. In that, um, for me. Mm. The big Harry's Harry's activeness gets him into trouble. He gets Sirius killed by taking his friends and acting on the the false, you know, uh, experience and going to go the ministry. And I, I always felt that book six was a natural recourse to his uh, over the top. You know, always want to get out there. He is learning and studying what he needs to do to defeat Voldemort. There's nothing. I mean, it's more passive, Harry, but. Certainly not lazy. I mean, for the first time also, Dumbledore has reached out to Harry and is saying, let me teach you. Let me help you, which is what he should have done from the beginning. He should always be Harry's number one teacher because of the overall plan, in my opinion. But this is the Mm -hmm. year that he does that. And so Harry is forced into a more uh, passive or receiving role than, you know, the active getting the DA together. And I I understand that. It's perfectly perfectly valid to feel the way Slytherin Knight does. But I I, have just always felt that it was a, a progression, more than a setback.
0: Yeah, I've never seen it as a character regression because it's not that Harry has completely disregarded what he's learned. Um, mm-hmm. The book goes to lengths to show us that he hasn't disregarded, anything. except all the spells. Well, <laughs> but that's he does that every year. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, really, when they were saying when Slytherin Knight was saying too, he's become more like Ron. Harry has a lot of similar similarities to Ron. Um, yeah, he always mm-hmm. has. pretty much the same person. Yeah, yeah there he's he's kind of like Ron two 0, <laughs> he kind of he he, he we need a lot of hate mail about that. Well, it's I am sure I am, but it's I'm sorry you guys, but he does get better grades than Ron, and he actually tries at least a little harder than Ron. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, I love it's Ron. Like, oh, I love Ron too. I don't too. have a problem. He's, he's a great character, <laughs> but it's I mean if we're putting if we're staggering them, y'all know what the the order is. It's Ron, Harry, Hermione.
2: <laughs> Come on! Oh, Hermione's the best student, though. Yes.
0: If we're staggering them by student, Hermione wins
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. And then our next comment comes from Hufflepug. I remember several months ago, one of the brilliant commentators here. Looking back now, it was she flew like a madman, on episode ninety six, was talking about how they thought the Room of Requirement was Helga Hufflepuff's special contribution to Hogwarts because it give students what they need without judging them. So you can say that it's loyal to Hogwarts and fair to all the students. This chapter shows how there's a dark side to that. The room becomes loyal to Draco and won't let Harry in, even though Harry is trying to stop Draco's evil plans. Like us Hufflepuffs, it can be loyal to a fault and can fail to account for the bad aspects of whatever it is someone wants to do in there, because it has an obligation to meet their needs. I just think that's a cool way to tie this to the conversation about the dark side of Hufflepuff that you guys talked about this week.
2: Wow. The dark <laughs> side of Hufflepuff. Just I know, wow. It just seems... Danielle, as a puff, did yeah. this comment
0: move you?
3: Oh, yes. Uh... <laughs>
0: I am profoundly moved right now. <laughs> so I think that's cool, the idea that maybe even this suggests that all four of the founders left some kind of larger room Mm -hmm. room yeah we know slytherin's contribution
2: yeah 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 no it it is interesting to think that um to think that there would there would be a chamber for everybody but but Mm -hmm. at the same time uh you can't imagine somebody who's not a founder of hogwarts building the room of requirement because the room of requirement is so well tied into The greater part of Hogwarts. Of course, there's a room that will be a bathroom if you need one, uh, because the school is confusing and hard to navigate, and we don't like messes. So it it just it kind of fits into the bigger picture in such a way you can't imagine somebody else like later than the founders coming and building it. So the idea is, if it's one of the founders, why not Hufflepuff? And I love that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting that with the things like the Chamber of Secrets and such, there came along. Because I think in book one, there's a lot of suggestions that the school is kind of is alive, and that it made some of the stuff up on its own. Mm-hmm. But as the books go on, in Chamber we find out that it was Slytherin who put who put the Chamber there. I think it was extra canonical material that we found out that Ravenclaw did the staircases, and oh hmm. no way! Yeah, I didn't she know that con- yeah she Neither contributed the, she contributed the staircases. And then there's also this suggestion that Hufflepuff might have done, this is a theory, but that Hufflepuff might have done the room. So it's, and we, I think we got that throughout the series that, Mm -hmm. you know, there were these things that was like, oh, it's just magic. But actually, as the series goes on, there's like a concrete explanation for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like, no, this is just people doing crazy, selfish things.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that, like, we haven't heard that it's Hufflepuff's Room of requirement. Mm-hmm. There's certainly not a, a an insignia on the outside of it with the big H and the badger. And I like that about it, and that kind of also fits with Hufflepuffs. We're not braggarts, you know? It's just, like, <laughs> it's just what uh, Hufflepug was saying about how it doesn't judge. It, it's going to be fair to the state. It gives them what they need without judgment.
3: And it is kind of beautiful to think about the fact that all of the Hogwarts founders sort of left some kind of contribution to make their lives move forward as the school sort of reflects what they did, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. they're living Mm -hmm. on through the school.
0: I guess you could say that Gryffindor's contribution is the sorting hat then, huh? Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um
2: it's although it's it's weird because that would almost be i mean it's kind of it's a thinking cap
0: (laughs) well yeah it's all all he's not
2: he's not the smart house but yeah it is all of the sort of like judge of character kind of Mm -hmm. i don't know i guess it's a pretty bold act to give a kid a house for seven years that they can't change
0: so Gryffindor's hat ravenclaw's stairs slytherin's chamber of Evil chamber, and death and horribleness. Which only one person has ever. <laughs> <laughs> in the last hundred years, only two people have ever well, heard Somebody it. should ask Rowling about this on Twitter, because I want official confirmation on what Hufflepuff yeah. put in the school. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Love that thought.
1: Mm-hmm. Our next comment comes from Davy B. Jones 999, and they said, About Tonk showing up and finding Harry, this is the third time in this book that Tonk's Runs into Harry like when she stopped him from killing Madungus and Hogsmeade earlier in the book, and when she found him on the Hogwarts Express. I always thought that Dumbledore asked her mm. to keep an eye on Harry, and that Tonks had just been making weak excuses because Dumbledore probably told her not to let Harry know that she's been tailing him.
0: this is, hmm. It's funny that and, this came up this way because I always thought this.
1: Oh, really? Really? I, I never really thought it, but then I, when reading this comment, I was like, that's a pretty good idea she probably was some. yeah <laughs>
2: well, yeah my my whole thing is it was explained away later that mm-hmm. she was in love with lupin yeah so, yeah and then that was her heartbreak so i also feel like because she has this heartbreak and it's changing her patronus which is a big deal that she's in no fit state to do missions for dumbledore even if it's just like a surveillance surveying harry like she's probably not the right person to ask if you want to get a job done and Dumbledore okay. probably knows that, unless she like was begging him to feel useful about something because she feels worthless and she's lost in love. But I don't know. I, I I just I kind of felt that she was just she's kind of lost and she's just wandering around. And when they when they meet each other, it's fortunate that she's there, especially in the Mundungus case, I guess. But also, um, yeah, I just always thought of them as chance occurrences. I like the
0: idea that they're not, um, but I, mm-hmm. I, I yeah, I think they probably are. I think I was just working off of kind of the stuff that was developed from book five where harry was constantly under guard and mm. you know while while as slither and i mentioned earlier harry and some of the others are dropping the ball at school and the students aren't don't really seem to care about the threat around them unless they're immediately affected i don't think dumbledore has been so casual as to forget that Certain people are still big assets to him and in danger. I mean, he's still he's still working very hard to ensure that Trelawney doesn't leave. Um, yeah, because yeah, he knows she's in danger. That's true. That's definitely yeah.
2: evidenced by this book. Yeah. So and um,
0: and it's it, you know he's he's choosing not to completely bar Harry from going to Hogsmeade. Mm-hmm. So why not say oh Tonks maybe keep an eye on him? Because I did I did think it was way too much of a coincidence that he would just run into her three times yeah. at important mm-hmm. moments and I know the the host last week suggested that maybe this was a remnant of a lost plot. Yeah. And oh okay. Maybe that is the lost explanation is that somewhere <laughs> it was going to be casually mentioned that Tonks has been tailing Harry. Yeah, I wonder.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Possibly. Well, thank you so much for sending in your comments everybody, but that is yeah. all we have for right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and yet there's still more <laughs> From last week much, much more. But something different We're yes. focusing in on the podcast question of the week Responses which are a little more focused Than the comments Because we have asked about Fittingly about Moaning Myrtle Who we finally know the full name of And our question is Why is Draco talking to Myrtle Is it because she is there And he can charm her into keeping his secrets Is she simply sympathetic to his vulnerable state does he see? Does she see herself in him? Did he mention that he was a Death Eater or that Lucius was his father? What exactly is Draco telling Myrtle? Our first response comes from Celestina: "Is my home girl? Somebody's obviously trying to get my attention, because <laughs> I agree. Something I find well, it worked, didn't it? It did, because <laughs> <laughs> you got a comment in the show." Uh, Something I find fascinating about this arrangement, even though I don't 100% subscribe to Circle Theory, is how in the second book, Ginny offloading her feelings into Tom Riddle's diary causes Voldemort to get into her head, while Malfoy offloading his feelings to Myrtle is a way for Malfoy to get all the Voldemort out of his head. Thoughts? Huh. Hmm. I like that. Danielle, how do you feel? What is what are your feelings on ring theory?
3: I actually do believe in it. Uh, oh, I, uh, I, I guess I would say a hundred percent. Sometimes I question it, but I do pretty strongly believe in it.
0: Go with ninety-nine point nine 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 percent. There you
3: go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you think oh, I like that? I like that just general Myrtle connection between two and six. I like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- I, uh, Daniel, do you think this like things like this? Because I know the ring theory tends to come out of things that are a little more concrete, such as the cabinet, the the, the vanishing cabinet being a connection. Oh yeah, much easier sense. comparison to yeah. draw. Do you think between books two and six Do you think, Danielle, that like this like this stretching of that concept is still valid for a ring composition?
3: I mean I really like this comment, but at the same time it is stretching it a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. But it it still is valid. It kinda seems like almost like narrative transformation and that like in book two, it's somebody like Ginny pouring her heart into the diary where Malfoy is trying to escape from Voldemort's grip. So it's like pouring your heart out versus escaping. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I see it. So,
0: well, and we've got you know. the situ- case of two, two innocents, really, right? when the books come. I mean, Malfoy, I'd, I have qualms about calling Malfoy a complete innocent myself, but I know most of the fandom does not, and that's kind of he the... bro broke d- Harry's nose! <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I thought that was worthwhile to... Cause, and, and, and you know, I, I think just as much we get many arguments um, and we've even discussed some on the show where it's like, well, you can make a connection between 1 and 6, or 2 and 7, and does that mean that that does that break down ring theory? Does that mean that ring theory is invalid? Um, possibly, but I think that you know this is. I think ring theory, even if it's not actually in practice, it is. A, it, it's a fun way to actually find connections, like Celestina is my homegirl. Found here, right? Um, it encourages us to maybe look for those connections that may have been intentional or not. Ever ever since
2: I heard of ring theory, too, like I, I like the idea that Joe is such a good writer that she not only can just do those plot. Uh, those like props, like the venge and cabinet, but actually to connect character situations to other books, yeah, absolutely, is a really cool. Like she's she's like taking it to the next level.
0: <laughs> she always <laughs> seems to do that, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, our next comment comes from. One of my favorite usernames. (laughs) This is, this is, go home,
2: everybody. (laughs) (laughs) After after this, just just name yourselves after your name.
0: This this username. This username. I love it. This comment comes from Protego (laughs) Myego. Oh, man. Well done, sir. (laughs) But according to Protego Myego, they had a very interesting comment. Regarding Myrtle's perspective, she seems happy, almost vindicated, because the student is finally giving her the time of day. Whenever Malfoy began making a habit out of escaping to the bathroom and releasing his emotions and fears, that must have led Myrtle to interpret his visits as a means of befriending her. Harry intentionally avoids the area around the bathroom she inhabits, and it's clear from Chamber of Secrets that the young ladies of Hogwarts can't pee when she's wailing. She finally has a frequent visitor, and how lucky is she that said visitor claims to feel bullied, isolated, and scared. The last moments of her own life were spent experiencing similar, if not the same, emotions. I expect ghosts spend most of their existence as imprints wallowing in the feelings and thoughts they were having prior to their death. Their demeanors seem to suggest that reliving their last hours and life's regrets is their fate for not moving on. Myrtle Mm -hmm. seems to be taking full advantage of Malfoy's sensitive situation and vulnerability for her own sake as years and years of being ignored and disregarded have left her hungry for attention. Also, here's a fun little thing I caught, which might be a hint as to Myrtle's secret new friend. On page 462 of the US edition, Ron asks, When you say you had lots in common, do you mean he lives in an s Ben too? Malfoy might not live in an s Ben, but does live in Slytherin House, whose mascot Mm. is a winding, bending serpent. Also, Slytherin dormitories get an underwater view of the Black Lake, the same body of water to which the toilets lead. In fact, <laughs> gross but true. In fact, as I typed this, says Protego ego, I realized maybe the way they met was because Myrtle was accidentally <laughs> flushed into the lake, swam around, overheard Malfoy crying alone in his room through the window, and ghostified herself through the wall to console him or something. Hashtag theories. Long comment, but pleasant. Long, pleasant, but full of very um, interesting ideas. I
2: I, I, I find the implication that Myrtle is somehow... I mm-hmm. know, it's, 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 Myrtle seems to be taking full advantage yes. of Malfoy's sensitive situation. I don't think there's anything malicious about the way she's behaving. I I do agree that it's 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 uniquely interesting that Malfoy in the weakened state and her like match so well. They they are. I do think they're a perfect match for each other. But I also don't think that she's like abusing that. I think she she is perhaps. I don't know, in the way that ghosts feed off of energy of the living, perhaps she is, like, somehow getting stronger or living for the first time in a couple years, you know, uh, in hearing his stories, but I, I also think that she <laughs> helps him. Uh, I think that that's why he probably comes to her more than just once, is that he is able to mm-hmm. uh, unload onto, onto her, unload, unload his problems.
0: Do you think that there is maybe an alternative way to how she found mm-hmm. him? Because as a lot of listeners pointed out, Malfoy probably didn't run into the girl's bathroom first.
2: She answers that in last week's chapter, doesn't she? She's like she she just happened to be in the boy's bathroom, like, instead, one day. I don't know, it's
0: That's probably I, true.
2: Yeah, like I think uh I mean she's been accidentally flushed before, so I think it's plausible. Um some people are attracted to to um what's the word uh to just sorrow (laughs) it's 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 attractive but um the the boys the boys bathroom thing Mm -hmm. um i i find it funny that uh myrtle this is like headcanon but she probably after the first few talks uh heart to hearts (laughs) she has a heart if what she has is a heart um with draco she was probably like I've been hanging out in the wrong bathrooms all <laughs> <of> my afterlife. <laughs> like boys want to open up. Like this, I've been doing yeah. it wrong.
1: Girls, girls share with other girls all the time. Boys, boys usually don't. So she should have figured that out long ago. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She's taking advantage of it. Yeah, whole new world. It's taken her how many years <laughs> to figure this out? Yeah. I like, I like too that Perdigo Maego points out that the kind of referenced the thing we've learned about ghosts is that they. Um, we've, we we kind of learned that a little bit in the books and a lot more on Pottermore, that they really aren't the full human being. They're an imprint, and they're kind of uh, perpetually stuck in the fi- the, the l- most recent emotions they had before they died. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I think that's worthy of note for perhaps examining why Myrtle acts the way Ghost she does. portraits are so alike. Yes, mm-hmm. very much so. But speaking of as... Uh, Protego, my ego put it. I'm not going to be able to say that name anymore. Hashtag theories. Rose Loomis had a nice big hashtag theory, which was, Do you think it's possible that Draco and Myrtle's first encounter was actually in the girls' bathroom? What if Draco was considering moving the vanishing cabinet to a more secure location and thought about trying to get it into the Chamber of Secrets? He may have gotten frustrated that he couldn't get in and broke down about the whole situation. Then Myrtle could have heard his cries and decided to comfort him. Then as Draco abandoned the Chamber of Secrets' ideal, Myrtle would have wandered from boy's bathroom to boy's bathroom looking for him. It might be a long shot, but really, when have we seen Myrtle just leave her bathroom for no particular reason? Well, we have seen that happen at least once in Goblet of Fire. mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. And does
3: Malfoy know where the Chamber of Secrets is? Am I am I wrong?
0: Well, the thing is he could potentially know because Voldemort knew, and he mm-hmm. might have told him. Oh, yeah. I doubt it. Know. Oh. So. I don't I'd, think so. And, you know, the contingency plan yeah, of, having, of using Draco, the giant snake isn't going to work. Move
2: your mouth like this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it will open, and then you can work in there. And
1: doesn't at all in Chamber of Secrets when they're um the trios in the bathroom and Myrtle doesn't Myrtle come in and out and she's wandering other places? Yeah,
0: yeah she she's she So um, I feel like
1: she wanders around a lot.
0: Yeah, there's con- I mean there's of course the confirmation, the horrible horrible confirmation that she yes, she does get flushed down the toilet and mm-hmm. she she goes to the lake. Yeah. So <laughs> she she does wander, she does have to wander around mm-hmm. from time to time. She has some adventures. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she She's <does>. been <Adventuring laughs> to
1: different toilets.
0: <laughs> i do like i do like this potential suggestion though as eric said it's it's probably been canon negated but it it's an interesting thought that maybe there were other plans that were provided to drake or other mm-hmm. suggestions especially yeah. the idea of the chamber of secrets mm-hmm. so since that is maybe crab and goyle met myrtle first oh god
1: yeah being <laughs> the, dressed up as the girls <laughs>
0: the, that's right yuck, they had to go use the bathroom <laughs> ah yeah. uh, the things that the book oh. chose not to dwell on Thank okay, <laughs> <yuck>. p- perhaps <laughs> for the better <laughs> but before we end the podcast question of the week of session I just want to make sure and do a few shout outs uh, to a few people in particular I know this one's one of Eric's favorites Dis Kid. not that kid Dis not kid. that kid How am I going to translate this? Puffin Proud, Silverdough 25, They've Taken My Wheezy, and the Vegemite Sandwich. Not Sandwich, (laughs) (laughs) Sandwich.
2: Ah, ha, ha. Oh, sandwich. Oh, <laughs> man.
0: And I want to also make sure and do a shout out, Maxima, to those of you who, if I had had more time, I would have put your comments in the show. You almost made it in, but I just couldn't fit you in. The half- yes,
2: we time him, and every time he said, Protego my ego, one of your comments
0: <laughs> <up>. <laughs> so. so a shout out, Maxima, to the Half Blood Princess, Hufflepug, Minerva's Tartan Biscuit Tin, Open the Rumble <laughs> Roar, and Yo Rufus on Fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I feel that's how you have to say that. Now it is time for our chapter discussion. Take it away, pre recorded audio clip. And, and his wand snapped, snapped into. Chapter 22. Which was sad. After the burial. Thank you.
2: Yes, today it is After the Burial. And as we usually do when we get into our chapter discussions, we first read a little summary to whet you, all of your appetites. The summary for this chapter I wrote as follows. Harry reflects on his recent failures with Slughorn and Malfoy. Ron and Hermione have their apparition tests later in the day. After receiving a letter from Hagrid telling them that ha- Aragog has died, Harry resolves to try his luck with Slughorn and as a last-ditch effort to try using Felix Felicis to acquire the elusive memory Once and for all. So this, this chapter is
0: awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's really,
2: really wonderful. And I don't know how else to say it. We finally, ever since the first day at Hogwarts when Harry has received Felix, to his almost using it on Ron, which is mentioned in this chapter, Mm. to actually be able to see what it is and and how it feels to take, has been, it's been a journey.
0: This... This Felix Felicis is so awesome that Eric and Kristen know I have cosplayed Harry specifically <laughs> under the influence of Felix, Felix Felicis because it is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it leads Felix to great Felicis interactions. Felix
2: slash... Uh, Slightly hopped up on drugs, Harry is, is one of the best moments of the entire movie franchise. Oh yes, gosh, the movie I does love it so well <laughs> to say, just yeah. Um, people who don't even like that movie adaptation, uh, often the the breaking point, the melting point, <laughs> when their heart is just melted into tears of joy, uh, is this scene, and it is it is so well written, and that's. One of the greatest things about reading this is because we've probably seen the movies more recently or more often because it only takes two hours versus however long it takes to read. But it's always better to read. And it is always better to – you get a lot more Is out it, of though? It. And so,
0: I'm going to – I think I'm going to – I'm going to contend that when we get to the end, because I think there's some things with the movie that are interesting to talk about with the end result in, yes. in the chapter. I cannot <laughs> wait. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll have a good talk. I've actually, to break everybody in, I've
2: got just a very small point to start with. Sometimes hmm. we do this in our chapter discussions where we bring up the little thing. There's a very minor moment, and if you blinked, you would miss it, in this. <laughs> uh, of course... We all know in broad strokes that Harry ends up taking Felix Felicis and he gets Slughorn very drunk, (laughs) and like blackout drunk, and Slughorn gives in. Um, But at one point when uh, Slughorn has had a few, he mentions... Actually, no, he's breaking out the wine for the first time, and since Ron has just recently been poisoned... He tells Harry that uh, he Slughorn has had a house elf try all of the wine in his in his reserve, all of his his store, all the wine that Slughorn had left. He allowed a house elf to basically taste test it. And all at um, once,
0: every Harry Potter reader breaks out their SPEW badge, mm-hmm. I, the badge <laughs> and slaps and it to it their on and chest. pretends
2: and pretends that they've been wearing it <laughs> for the, the whole time. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because now it's time to to jump on that boat. Because what the heck? Um, That's crazy. What? uh you know it's it's funny uh, slughorn is talking to harry and he says you know it was just terrible what happened to your friend rupert
0: <laughs> he cares of
2: course he means wrong <laughs> harry doesn't correct him harry's in his own state of not really paying attention i mean kind of paying attention but not paying attention. if felix didn't say it was important it's not important so um in this sort of innocuous moment um he J.K. Rowling, I believe, has managed a shout-out to yeah. one of the, the trio actors. Uh, of course, Rupert Grint, who plays Ron, and who he's talking about Ron, but he calls him Rupert. And at this point, I had to go back and look, but uh, at the time of the sixth uh, book coming out, the fourth movie was uh, about four months away. And and so the the trio of you know had been cast for some time and had been in movies for some time and I, I really feel like this is an intentional. Let me know if you disagree with me. But a shout out to uh, Rupert, his work maybe. I mean, just if you can, why not get away with throwing in something like this? Sure. Uh, yeah. Could be. No, uh, so we all think J.K. Rowling just did a. A hundred
1: percent.
0: I do. I think she. She never perhaps flat out said it, but I always got the implication that she liked Rupert the best mm-hmm. um because not and, and and she loves them all clearly mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It, but I think she really and I could maybe this is more personal just thing I'm putting on this, but i I think well dan and Dan and Emma are amazing, but I think Rupert was probably the closest to his original character out of the three of them. And Interesting. he was probably the closest to, I mean, and I, I think any faults where he wasn't were the script's fault and not his. <laughs> and I think he went to like, he's, and he was the only one of the three of them beforehand who was so committed. Mm-hmm. You've, I'm sure you guys have all seen that, pre- their first press interview where they asked them what they would do, what they're going to do with all their money. And they all oh, God. give such great answers that fit them so well. But Rupert's answer is the best. What's he say? Well, because Dan says, oh, I don't know. And then Emma says, "Oh, I'm going to put it in a fund for college. And Rupert says, well, you see, they're giving us muggle money, and I don't understand that because I'm a wizard. <laughs> oh, <right.
2: laughs> I completely oh, forgot no. about that. So adorable. He was totally the most adorable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, here comes know the known fact. Wrong. But no. But yeah, no. Um, I think I think I think Rowling recognized that Rupert was the one who was a, a fan of the of of the series from the okay. get go.
2: I I th- I always thought it wasn't like it's not necessarily that she's rewarding him for being like the coolest Harry Potter fan, but more like I think she likes his comedic the the fact that, I mean he's he's the brunt of the joke he's the comedic relief character for the trio mm-hmm. in the movies and I feel like she responded to ha- the gusto with which he was okay with that mm-hmm. like I don't know it just seems like even by by the third I mean especially there's there's no better example than what's that mean. You know what could it be? All the all the high pitched stuff he does in, in, in movie two. Um, he just broke the sound yeah, barrier there. I always felt it was. I always felt it was more like uh, not consolation, but like appreciation mm-hmm. because he was like the comedic character.
1: I don't know. And it's guess... the closest name to his character.
2: Yeah, it's very easy to mix Ron and
0: Ronald and Rupert. It's a fabulous setup. I think it's something mm-hmm. that a de- definitely a lot of Harry Potter fans enjoyed because. Oh yeah. Th- throughout the whole book, Slughorn's... Like like oh you yeah. you're, you you're watching you his name you. the whole time <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> oh and isn't that funny because Ron's not in the Slug Club and Ron and basically the whole book is about how Slughorn's ignoring Ron because he's not talented yeah so he can get so he can get his name wrong
0: yeah hmm. well and then and there's gonna, gonna be another that, be... Uh, you, that is an odd running theme because that's gonna be a big plot point with the Half Blood Prince's book later mm. with Runa Waslip. <laughs> So Oh yeah, yeah, I wonder. Um but anyway, that was a little thing. We dwelled too much
2: on it from being a little thing. it's oh, a little thing. It's a good little um, thing. I like that. Yeah, let's let's go on to another thing that I pretended was a big thing, but it's probably also a little thing. Uh potions class <laughs> yeah. with Malfoy and Ernie. So for some reason, okay, most of the school, I assume, or most of their normal class, is taking their apparition lessons, but Ernie McMillan, Draco Malfoy, and Harry are not 17 yet, and so they cannot take their apparition test with the rest of the school. So Slughorn devises a uh, unique class where he says, just make me something amusing. Mm -hmm. And of course, Harry uh, succeeds at producing Euphoria with Peppermint. I was wondering, (laughs) though, because this class is different from Potions class, and gosh, we've, we've paid a whole lot more attention to potions in this book than we ever have before. And I wonder if, you know this The reason that this class is so different that this took place the way that it did was actually a result of Joe trying to keep things fresh either for herself or for us because this is probably like the hundredth potions class we're in this year, and still it manages to come off feeling new
0: yeah I think the i, I the reason i it, it stands out for me because you know of course be, because it's not in the movie, I' completely forgot this even happened um right. Mm-hmm. Dang it, movies, that's what you always <laughs> make me do. Um yeah. but I did like that this is I the thing that stands out is that it's a more intimate potions class. Um mm. there's just three students there. Um and it and it's I, I I what it doesn't only serve to be an interesting potions class, but it's a great opportunity for Harry to observe Malfoy de- degrading, falling mm-hmm.
2: apart. Uh. I don't know. The class is mostly, like, written over. We don't actually... Like, it's an hour and a half passes in just a a sentence. It's like, and then an hour and a half later, Harry had his potion ready. I mean, he notices that Malfoy is paler. That's true.
0: Yeah, Um, he goes into pretty, like,
2: gross, gross detail...
0: Like mm-hmm. he's like wow. They don't
2: have any dialogue together though. And we I was gonna say that we didn't actually gain anything about Malfoy, but you're right. We actually do in that yeah. description. Yeah.
0: It, it's it's tough because that's the thing. I... Super I've, pale. Yeah. See, See that 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 is. Even though it's a brief description, I think it's. This is this is a tough thing. I've I think we've been coming up a, as a problem with Half Blood Prince and rereading it over any of the other books. There is something about the mystery. I think my personal belief being that it's all put out in front of us that doesn't strike a, a lot of readers in the same way that the other books do when they reread it. Um, the, hmm. the other books read like very traditional mysteries. Half-Blood Prince is a very different mystery than all the other ones. Um, hmm. cause there's no, there is no mystery. <laughs>
2: it's all right there. <laughs> oh, it's, it's all there to be read. Yeah,
0: It's all the, all uh-huh. the answers are there. And I think for us, I think as a rereader that can be frustrating because for some, I think they it's seen as a lack of intricacy. It's just like, well, we know. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know. There aren't really many shocking revelations because we know them already. Whereas, you know, the the, the shocking revelations, the way they're put forth in the other books, tend to be kind of the grand finale. Um, you know, mm-hmm. all the clues lead up to something. Half-blood prints, mm-hmm. right. all the clues are right there for you. And so I think... This is another one of those moments that is taken for granted as a reread. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I think I think that's very possible. Malfoy and looks painful.
3: Well. Go ahead, Daniel. I have to mm-hmm. say, I appreciate the fact that it's not set up like the traditional mystery because yeah. that's what makes Harry Potter so great in a way that it that J.K. Rowling took those steps to make it something different and unique, and I really like that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I th- I think that's why. I agree, that's why I love Half-Blood Prince, and I think a lot of people discount mm-hmm. that, even, even though by Ring Theory, um, Half-Blood Prince is connected to Chamber of Secrets, I often compare it to Prisoner, um, because Prisoner, I feel, was the first one to break out of the mold from the rest. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have mm-hmm. Voldemort, mm-hmm. In it yep. has Voldemort's Follower yep. instead. Well, yeah. and the concern yeah. isn't even... Voldemort's coming to get me this year. It's Mm-mm. Sirius Black is coming yeah. to get me, and there's so many layers to what that's about. Um, yeah. Other than kind of the basic antagonist, antagonist coming to get the the good guy, and so I think that there's some. I think that's, and I've heard a lot of people cite that they that they like. A lot of people say Prisoner is their favorite, and Half Blood is their mm-hmm. second, or vice versa. Um, it's me.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I agree.
0: I'm that as well. And so, mm-hmm. Danielle, what are your favorites, by the way?
3: <laughs> uh, this is an unpopular opinion, but Order of the Phoenix is one. Oh, And Deathly Hallows,
0: Ooh, which I guess is a okay. popular one. Yeah, Deathly mm-hmm. Hallows does get picked a lot. Order doesn't. Do- oh, mm-hmm. Kat, did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I <laughs> he was heard Kat. it, and I can, I can hear in the background her stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always <laughs>
3: sympathize <laughs> when I listen.
0: Well, and, you know, I, I certainly, I think even those of us who don't, put order at the top of our list can appreciate why it's a major con- uh, contribution to the series and why it's important. I was, I oh, was actually just explaining to somebody earlier today that uh, I
2: like that there are people who think that book five is their fa- or who know that book five is their favorite, and people who know that book seven is their favorite, like, um, because it just speaks to the diversity of the books mm-hmm. and how they each reach different people on different levels. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. But I think, I think but.
0: that's, I think though that that, go- going back to the original point of yours, Eric, I think that is why we tend to gloss over what's important about these scenes. It's because mm-hmm. for us as rereaders, Oh, Malfoy's pale again. Yeah, Malfoy! Yeah, pale!
2: Because <laughs> we know what he's doing, but Harry, to Harry it's still a mystery, so it's just like... Yeah. Uh, is, is it just me, or did he like maybe
0: not eat something yeah. good at lunch? Is or he
1: not you know? going into the but sunlight I, at all? I, well, and I
0: think <laughs> even the remarkable thing, though, about the scene, even as a rereader, is that what hits me every time I read this scene is the realization that Harry and... Malfoy haven't interacted almost at all in this book. Yeah, it it I think that that has become such a regular thing in the series, and when you really do have the same realization that of that Harry does of Wow, I haven't even seen him for a long time, and I definitely haven't talked mm. to him. It is, it's kind of shocking, and it does make you realize this is a little different. Something is definitely going on that's unusual here. That's a really good
2: point. And this third point is pretty meaty because it deals with Hagrid, and he's just a big dude. Uh, Hagrid (laughs) has an interesting story, which he doesn't tell. He mentions it, but he doesn't tell it. Ron, there's some humor earlier in the chapter when they they find out that Aragog died, and Ron is just like, oh, that'll have improved him a bit (laughs) Um, because he was nasty. They had that terrible experience in, what book was it? Book two, where they're in the forest and, uh, they escape with barely their lives because all of Aragog's lot want to eat Harry and Ron. <laughs> so, anyway, Hagrid has this moment. This is when Harry begins taking, uh, Felix and he, we can, we're gonna talk about that. That's the next point, I promise, is Felix. We're gonna <laughs> get to Felix. But, when he's with Hagrid before Slughorn arrives, Hagrid mentions that. He took Aragog's body. It's it's out in the back. It turns out H- Hagrid is surprised to find out that Aragog's whole family would have even eaten Hagrid or that the only reason he was even allowed to visit was because of Aragog's fondness uh, for him. And he stated to Harry that it was difficult getting Aragog's body out of the forest because Acromantula usually eat their dead. <laughs> Now, I'm thinking of Hagrid, who's very bulking, giant guy, half-giant guy, really, if you're being accurate, (laughs) Um, but with a broken wand, never learned magic past the third grade, has a third grade, you know, spell level, and uh, how how did he do this? How did he actually escape, while carrying Aragog over his back, this horde of giant spiders that wanted to eat, probably Hagrid too, but also... Wanted to eat Aragog, like this is this is the most we have a obligatory genius moments from time to time. This is like the hidden badass moment. I was of gonna the say it's just a
1: badass. That's how he did yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Kristen, that's your answer. He's just <laughs> he's, a badass. Good answer.
2: <laughs> uh, the other thing, the other thing that strikes me with this story, which again it's it's glossed over because Harry's high, And <laughs> coming to dinner. Um, but uh, <laughs> the the other sort of portion of it is that. Uh, Aragog did have a sort of human sense of affection for, for Hagrid. You hear the story t- mm-hmm. uh, too often of people raising like a lion cub or an yeah. alligator mm-hmm. from youth or even monkeys and, or apes rather. Uh, you know, yeah. And they're adorable as kids and you have a real bond mm-hmm. with the child pet. But over time, its instinct and adulthood kicks in, and it mm-hmm. wants different things, and you know, just in general, becomes a real terror, and uh, and attacks and has a violent, you know, sort of. You can no longer live with an adult animal in the same way that you could when they were in their infancy. And so, this idea that the the love, the bond between Hagrid and his pet, uh, raised him up from a cupboard. Uh, there you, you go Base there finally God. <laughs> Gosh. um you know is 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 that they have this lasting bond that prevents Hagrid from being eaten but also is it that like a, again about how did Hagrid escape do the other spiders like they clearly there's this hierarchy where they respected aragog's uh ruling he was probably king of all the probably all probably was their dad uh for being honest here but i I, you know I, i i really wonder if they all again have like a human sense of almost respect or or deference for 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 the matter simply because hagrid aragog although he became you know what i assume is king of the giant spiders out in the forest still was in the end hagrid's pet his first ever pet and is that why they let him go
0: this to me kind of connects with what we were what I was mentioning before about the things that we kind of just assume are fun and magical and oh giant magic spiders how exciting that's, this makes the school way more exciting and it kind of lends a little bit of like of that kind of crushing reality where hagrid is saying like I can't go into a part of the forest that's never happened before mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it there there's uh, books for like the end of book four through seven are fascinating. I think, I think that's another reason that the Harry Potter series is so good and exceeds in a lot of ways that a lot of fantasy series don't for, especially for juvenile readers is that it builds up this magical world where you can just assume that the world is magical. And there's this, these constant revelations that the world really isn't that magical. Um, it's, kind of constructed out of a lot of human failings and this is one of those like Hagrid made some big mistakes with the spiders <laughs> like huge literally and okay. and that's you know that it's it, you see it as kind of this fun magical romp in two and then in six there's kind of more weight and heft put to it I think that like it's not really so much I think that's probably why she doesn't dwell on how he escaped um because we're just left to assume well Hagrid's big.
1: He's a badass. <laughs> yes,
2: he's yeah. a big. I mean we
1: we we'd,
0: <laughs> we'd, we'd also hate to
2: I'd hate to see a retread of like the centaurs who, who all hate Hagrid now. Yes, mm-hmm. um, as well, right? Yeah, yeah. That, he's, yet another uh, thing that's kind of He's a trait. Yeah, centaurs are another big thing where in book 1 you're like, "Oh, these magical beautiful creatures." Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, they want they want independence and they
0: want it pretty fiercely. My main example that I always cite that I think usually, like, that one was the one that probably strikes me, is Sorcerer's Stone with Quirrell, because a lot of people kind of brush Quirrell off because it's like, oh, he's the bad guy, and then he died. Like, that's how children's book uh, children's book works. You, mm-hmm. you defeat the bad guy, and he's dead. But throughout the later books, there are a lot of kind of revelations that tie into Quirrell, and what he was doing with the Sorcerer's Stone that make it a lot more serious. Um, it's not just it wasn't just kind of a fun romp anymore. There were a lot of serious implications that surrounded the Sorcerer's Stone. And they're put more into that kind of dark context later. Mm -hmm. You know,
2: part of my thought process that I think aligns with that, uh, because you're talking about Quirrell, and I like Quirrell a lot, but you've got this villain who shares heads with Voldemort, the main (laughs) villain of the entire series. In Book 6, you've got a villain in Slughorn, Mm. almost. And this chapter it becomes clear to me, like, Slughorn is is, is, is again, not a good guy. When Harry is uh, persuading him to divulge the memory in this chapter, too, there's a lot of questionable things that Slughorn says. Like, Harry at one point asks him if he wants Voldemort to, to die and there's like basically the, the the wizard who killed my mom like don't you want him to to suffer don't you want to help us defeat him and it's really questionable because slughorn very clearly doesn't actually want to be in the middle of it um you you get these so i my my whole point with uh quarrel in book one and slughorn in book six is this is much more subtle mm-hmm. like i i i still say slughorn is an, an obstacle for harry if not a villain He's an obstacle. He, he contains this memory, but
0: mm-hmm. there's a
2: lot of nuance involved in coaxing that from him, and it takes the whole book for Harry to do it. And even though we're introduced, you know, pretty much the first, second or third chapter uh, to him, it takes all this time for Harry to, to learn how to operate, because it's not the traditional, simple, this is the bad guy and he needs to die kind of character.
3: I was just going to say, getting back to ring composition, that Aragog appears in book two and now is in book six. So that's something to think about, um, and also backing up just a tiny bit with Draco and Harry in book two, you see Harry pursuing Draco, thinking he's up to something with the Chamber, and in this book it's the same oh, way. He oh up yeah! To Man,
2: except this time he actually is up to something. Exactly. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, very
1: true. Yeah,
3: which I, I love that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, yeah, and Good I, point. I also don't one hundred percent subscribe, but. Again, I think it's just, pulling those connections out, you know, I I would love, like, if somebody just made even a basic list of these connections and, like, just, you know, if they ever got some, actually. Yeah, there are. Like, sit them, well, I would love somebody to take those lists and just, like, put them on a scroll or something and then unravel it right in front of rolling (laughs) and just be like, come on, (laughs) like, (laughs) tell us if you did this on purpose or not. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah cuz I know John Granger has a book about it cuz that's the one that I read mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about ring composition. So he should show yeah. her that book.
2: It's it's mm-hmm. it's really worth noting that our other MuggleNet podcast Academia has John Granger as a regular host. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, I was on that actually. Oh yeah. So, nice.
2: Cool. And and so definitely uh listeners who are interested in the more uh, what 's the word? academic side there is it 's an easy word it 's in the title. <laughs> uh, should definitely check out MuggleNet Academia as a podcast. but now we 're going to talk about fun fun Felix Felix Felicis we 've finally taken just a, a carefully measured mouthful mm-hmm. and immediately Harry is uh, well you know he, he mm-hmm. just he just gets an, uh, sort of enlightened. He says there he describes it, or it is described as having several paths illuminated before him, and we've talked a great bit for for not having actually gotten to the chapter where he actually takes Felix. I feel like going through this book on Aloha we've we've often had the discussion about how Felix works because it plays into well, would it be useful here? Would it be useful here? You know we've had a lot of talk about it, and up until this point on the show, I've been interested in and in kind of like generally agreeing because I don't remember all that well uh what I read ten years ago. Um that it's it's this very broad sense of, you know, kind of illuminated footpaths like the Michael Jackson uh Billy Jean video, <laughs> you know, he's on the sidewalk and it's oh, lighting yeah. up. That, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But ultimately, while rereading the chapter for this episode, it, it 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 tends to be in the actual chapter, it's really a lot more than that. Um it 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 it's telling Harry throughout this chapter uh, well, wh- wh- where to go is, is is broad, but it tells him uh, to look up at the emptying wine bottles when, when he notices that Hagrid and uh, Slughorn have had a few. Mm-hmm. It tells him to not say anything when Slughorn is trying to suppress, I guess, vomiting yeah. uh, or burping. Mm-hmm. It tells him to say more. You know, at the right moments. This is this is a more active presence than I ever imagined, I guess. Felix in this chapter is 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 like physically nudging Harry and and doing a whole Mm -hmm. lot more than than what I remember, which is just kind of like, Oh, this is a good idea. And just
1: taking the path like past the gardens, even though it's a longer way to get to Hagrid's. Yeah. Like I never really picked up on that until
2: you know, it doesn't make sense in. to go by the vegetable patch, but Mm-mm. that's how that's where Slughorn was. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't planning on running into Slughorn at first. He was going to go to Hagrid's and that yeah. was going to be some kind of way. But like what what I I guess my main point in Felix, this is something that I haven't thought about in a really long time. But back in my first year of college, we we uh, it was like philosophy one hundred and one. and We were talking about determinism. We were talking about the idea of fate or the idea that everything that's supposed to happen uh, is already written, and you know we're players along the the thread. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what if Felix Felicis? Like again, in this read through, it never did it for me before. But in this read through, I really feel like it's a magical awareness that opens up of like de- of determinism of fate of what is actually prescribed to happen. It lets you see sort of the peripheral corners of of that reality that that there is, that fate is set and you know it's actually just the way that it's written where Harry gets physically nudged to say things and do things makes me think a lot about just how this is magic and how at the same time, it's almost impossible to imagine
0: that anyone could be this lucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting Mm -hmm. because it's like, I kind of subscribe more to that. It, it does open up a pathway that you can choose to take because the narration, the narration suggests that Harry has the choice not to do what Felix Felicis tells him to do. Um, but what situation mm-hmm. would he be
2: in if he One, didn't? It's take interesting
0: it. to think if you do, if you stop or if you choose not to do what it says, will it open up another path for you? Will it find other ways to get you what you want? Or will it be like yeah, out of Or does it just, yeah. just give up? <laughs> Tough <Yeah>. luck.
2: <laughs> I mean, thinking of it as a potion, it's grounds or it's a potion. You could do this several other ways. It could be a spell. It could be a. But it's a potion, and mm-hmm. so it's got like a certain time period that it you know wears off. Yeah. And Harry doesn't take the whole thing. But another another interesting note uh, from this chapter is that he finally resolves. Hermione can kind of convinces him to use it. He's like, "Okay, I'm going to try it once more without." The potion, and that's when he's with Malfoy and and Ernie and potions, and that doesn't work. So he's like, okay, I'm going to finally try it. But he's been holding off taking Felix all so, all year, uh, the school year, because he wanted to save it for like a, I guess something to do with Ginny. <laughs> um, he, he, the book says he's Ginny. always imagined <laughs> these <laughs> corridor meetings and this that and the other thing with Ginny. So he's been putting off using it. It's not laziness; it's just hesitance. Mm-hmm. And he find he finally uses it, but then. When he gets the notion to go down to Hagrid's and tells him, "I just feel like that's the place to be," um, going through the he portrait bumps into hole, Jenny. under oh, he, yeah. yeah, he bumps yeah. into Ginny, mm-hmm. and it solves. It, it, it is the impetus by which Ginny uh, reacts negatively to Dean mm-hmm. and is. And I'm, I'm sure they've they've had their issues before. We've seen, yeah, but it, it really opens up. It solves all of his problems. It mm-hmm. doesn't just necessarily solve the one that he's he's trying to get the memory but it's actually going out of its way to be on his side. Maybe that makes it more luck than anything, but it, it just, it, it's its there for him. I feel like Felix is the tangible buddy who has seen, who's read the Harry Potter books already, and is like, hey, man, we got this. You know, he's the perfect wingman. He's the perfect uh, assistant. And I love when, especially in the movie, too, I think they just refer to it by name like as if it is a person because that's exactly how it feels.
0: Yeah, and I think, it, well, and even stretching how far the reach of Felix Felicis works, it actually also, in, it also, there's a moment that occurs where Lavender catches around and Hermione, leaving with Harry out of the dormitory, and... Oh, so th- oh, yeah. so that finally gets a chance yeah, to be resolved. Mm-hmm. As well. As well, Harry yeah, because Harry has no direct involvement in that, but isn't it interesting, because he's been, you know, him and Hermione have been nagging Ron... To just do something about do lavender, mm-hmm. and so, and it's not even—it's not even for Harry. It's for Ron, but it's—but that—but that benefits Harry, kind of like his personal, like Harry's
2: the lucky one. But other people are winning because of, like, I don't know. It's you're right. That doesn't affect Harry directly, but it's still happening while he's under mm-hmm. the influence. Well, and
1: maybe he's sick of lavender coming to him, and yeah, it that's from- <laughs> so it, does, right. it. Does benefit him that's in some true. ways.
0: Well yeah. isn't I mean, that interesting though because that's almost like Felix Felicis offering choices to people who aren't under its influence and you know how long mm-hmm. how long will that effect last because ostensibly here it is permanent um Ron and her, Ron and Lavender will break up and Ginny and Dean will break up um not too soon after Yeah those are permanent yeah, those end up things being permanent. That aren't... so isn't it You're isn't right. it interesting that Felix Felicis can influence that far out, um, past the drinker.
3: That's why I really want to know how it,
0: how how it works. works. I would love it.
3: Yeah. Like, because it's bending the forces of nature, almost. <laughs> I I just, you know? It's yeah, just, I mean, it's, it's it's
2: hard to imagine, like, if he hadn't drunk drank the potion and happened to go through the portrait hole at that time. I mean, he wouldn't have been in the invisibility cloak, so it would have been totally different. But, you know, you wonder if... Uh, those, those p- other characters, Ginny and Dean were really coming through the portrait hole at that exact moment anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like to what extent, like Slughorn was down. They, I think they'd just seen him eating and they were like, we're going to go back up to the, uh, tower and give him time to find his way to his office. But he didn't go to his office. He went to the vegetable patch and that just came to Harry. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to walk past the vegetable patch. <laughs> um, it's just it's very interesting and I love the fact that we don't have these answers. Like I almost want her never to explain it
0: except for when we're reading this chapter. And I'm like well yeah it's it is um, cuz I more this reread than ever. I realized that Felix Felicis is a is almost as dangerous as the time turner. I'm actually in a way surprised that she introduced it because she had so many frustrations with the time turner. Um and she mm. she literally had to destroy them all to get them out of the plot um because there were too many plot holes with it. <laughs> yeah, cuz they could yeah. And so how well, how dangerous to introduce something like this. I mean, she did put restrictions on it, kind of vague restrictions.
2: Yeah, and 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 kind of they almost discredit like by by taking it so often that you can't stop what, laughing or something. I, or is it is it just that you have too much confidence and you end up getting yourself killed by accident? Or is is laughter a real is it
0: euphoria am i mixing up something that like if you drink too much of it you just laugh become the, like a laugh well movie? hermione states that felix Felicis can only take you so far so apparently one it does have a limit and and slughorn mm-hmm. does say to i don't know if he specifies it but he does say that there are very major consequences if you overdose on it um because it yeah. is only supposed to be taken for like a very limited period of Maybe that's like honestly, like going
2: back to opening up a a, a a reality that isn't ordinarily glimpsed by the human eye of like seeing fate that maybe there's only so much you can take before your eyes burn out like uh Raiders of the Lost Ark style <laughs> like because you've glimpsed yeah. you've literally seen the the answer you've seen the the answer to the the most important question in the world and it's 42
0: and, <laughs> you <know. laughs> and then your face melts off then your face melts off i wa- yeah i wonder if it's related and to that and the all. only cuz slughorn kind of glosses over his experience when he takes the Felix Felicis. He doesn't go into too many details, but it is worth noting that in the extended canon um, through uh, Book of Potions, you do get to, I believe you do get to brew Felix Felicis, and there's um, a little history given on it. The basic is that it was actually Zygmunt Budge, the character who wrote Book of Potions, he invented it um, somewhere in the 15th century, and he gave it to a young man named Tetrius who was a muggle-born wizard, and he was the youngest of three brothers, and his family was scared of his abilities, so they chased him away. And he ended up on Zygmunt's island, and Zygmunt gave him a few coins and some Felix Felicis and sent him on his way. He drank it, the wind shifted, sent him to an island where there were some wizards. They were like, oh, we should go get you a wand, and so they went and got him a wand, and that same day there was a job posting in Diagon Alley for curse breakers at Gringotts, and Ted Tertius became the greatest curse breaker in the history of Gringotts.
2: So, see that again is that's like somebody named Felix wants big has big plans <laughs> and is going to install him at the heavily guarded Gringotts. I swear he's like a he's like a fully formed creature from the uh, the other world. Well, or yeah, something. that's what the I other thought
0: world. was interesting because the explanation of the origins of Felix Felicis did not actually include an individual named Felix and it never explains where Zygmunt got the name (laughs) Um, so it's like you said Eric you almost don't want her to answer it and with Book of Potions she did not she didn't give us anything more other than how the potion is brewed like there's not really much
3: I was just going to ask real quick say that two opposing forces took the Lucky Potion at the same time Mm -hmm. Like Harry takes it and Draco takes it, how would that work then? Like, because if they were against each other at something, and they took the lucky potion, so Harry could beat Draco and Draco could beat Harry, how would that play out then?
0: We've talked.
2: Uh, it would be. I think it would. I think it would be a yeah. draw. I think there would be gains on both sides. Okay. Uh, there would be gains because a little bit of luck can get you more insight into what the other into what your enemy is doing mm-hmm. but ultimately it would be if they took the exact same quantity or maybe if it's adjusted for weight I don't know if one's <laughs> in the other and like they took they took the equivalent of the exact quantity of the same age from the same potion this as as much of the same stuff as you can possibly make it then I imagine it would be a draw except I mean if if, if Draco is Lucky for one minute longer than that one minute he can spend, you know, landing a blow on Harry's nose or mm-hmm. something, you know. So it's like it, it would have to be evenly matched. Like, I, I think Felix would play both sides. The interesting thing is that that question doesn't get answered because the rest of Felix is used by, I guess, what former members of the DA at the end of this book, right? That's the rest right. of Harry's vial is given to the students so that they can succeed in. Uh, basically handling the the battle at Hogwarts that
0: happens in this yes, book. Yes, once again, Rowling so cl- cleverly gets rid of the plot problem. The of- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: but it's also, and I'd hate to, I, I would never accuse the book of being uh, childish or shying away because I love, the books are steadily getting darker every year, but it it's good that there i mean there's this huge battle at hogwarts that we're leading up to uh and it happens again next year but this year nobody dies right like nobody uh no, I think besides Dumbledore, <laughs> none of the students, which is like really a big oversight. I didn't mean to say nobody, yeah. but none of the students, nobody, none of Harry's friends, yeah, no, close friends no, other than yeah, die. No, other
0: than Dumbledore, nobody on the good side dies. I think a Death Eater gets taken out, but yeah, there's mm-hmm. that's it. So, and
2: and so it's a nice way of almost letting us down or letting us down easy or gently. I mean, Dumbledore died. That's a big deal, you're right. But uh, it, it, it could be so much worse like it is in book seven when Hedwig gets it, you know? And so like Ugh. Felix Felices is, 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 utilized as like a very, I don't know, like a, an excuse for keeping everyone alive almost. Yeah.
0: Um, I could, I could definitely see that cause you do have to keep all of those characters are all essential to keep around until the end.
2: And, and the threat is still real. You have to show that it's still very possible that they could all die. Yeah. But to to explain it away as being well, they had you know some Felix to help them dodge spells. Mm-hmm. Everybody just we just gave ever we just gave all the Death Eaters the stormtrooper curse <laughs> and then they couldn't they couldn't fire you know accurately uh, with their wands. But anyway, we are getting a little off topic. I want to talk about uh, Harry's eventual success in getting the memory from Slughorn and how. I mentioned before it's very nuanced like he has to bring up the memory of Lily not in the same way that it happens in the film Michael I'm sure you'll speak to that I will but <laughs> in in a similar way in that Lily is somehow the 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 uh, key
0: to the lock of Slughorn's mind Mhm Okay I'll speak to it since nobody else is speaking <laughs> unless anybody else has anything to say because I want I this the, the thing for me and is that every read of that of that section has always been lackluster for me and the the Mm. film this is the one time for me in i think any of the films where the film exceeded the book because because he talked about a fish because cloves found the emotional center and he actually made it meaningful Mm -hmm. to both slughorn and harry this mm. the passage in the book doesn't mean anything to Slughorn, and the narration even says he will forget it in the morning because he's super drunk. Um, mm-hmm. you, no, it, mean, it means more to Harry. It means more to Slughorn than it does
2: to Harry, though. Harry is actually just manipulating. He's just like Harry is so over. The fact that his mom and dad are dead That he can tell this story almost emotionlessly mm-hmm. He's doing it to manipulate Slughorn Yeah and I, I mean Slughorn is, is genuinely having What I feel is a genuine reaction I mean the last words of the chapter are You know don't think negatively of me after this I'm not proud of it He says mm-hmm. to him before he gives him the memory I'm not I think I really think I did a lot of damage this day Is what he says to Harry when he's drunk And yes it's, it's kind of sad that Slughorn himself Won't remember doing this but, ultimately, he is, carrying, he is carrying quite a quite a great deal about what Harry's saying to him. It's Harry who doesn't care, in my estimation.
0: I just think that... I
3: feel like Felix...
0: Go ahead, Danielle. Mm-hmm.
3: So, I was just going to say, I feel like Felix has a play in that, though. Because I feel like if he didn't take the potion, mm-hmm. he might have been more aware of the fact that he's talking about his parents' death. Or, particularly Ooh. Lily's death. But, the fact that he has the potion, it gives him this sort of power to go outside himself and
1: manipulate as you said
0: that's a really good point yeah um, that's
1: the way i thought of it i, I like how you i said think that. that's
0: great because the mm-hmm. books especially this book has made clear that harry is very harry's not very good with being open about his emotions um especially his, especially the sadder emotions he doesn't really like to mm-hmm, talk okay. about his feelings um and i think that's that's why I think, Danielle, that's exactly why Felix Felicis, like you said, is so important, because it helps mm-hmm. him come out of that shell. I mean, I mean, Harry
2: doesn't even know why he's telling the truth about the Acromantula, and it turns out that Acromantula Venom is super valuable, and that's what gets Slughorn to even come to Hagrid's hut later, is mm-hmm. the promise of great wealth, because maybe the Venom hasn't dried up yet, but... H- Harry has that sensation of now is time to tell the truth. Harry. And you're right. Felix it, is nudging I, him and going, it's... Now's the and, and so I think you're right. Like I think Harry is getting that sense of now's the time to tell Slughorn. And it's shocking to me, although not I mean it makes sense when rereading it that Slughorn didn't know. That it's just not well known, like, that James died first, mm-hmm. that Lily's that Lily stepped in front of the, you know, spell and and and, and so I like that Slughorn possibly didn't actually know this yet, and that it, it somehow is a bigger deal to him in that it helps him give his memory away. And
0: and you're right, Eric, that I think definitely from Harry's end, it is it's it, it the writing is meant to sound robotic because it's not quite him speaking, and Dan plays it that way in the movie. Um, mm. But for me, the scene works better in the movie because it gets to. Cloves Cloves this again this is just like the one time that Cloves just really really got it in a way that I don't think he ever did again like mm-hmm. he found he he very much recognized what the core idea of that scene was and he expanded upon it beautifully um I like the thing with the 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 magic because it not only is it really great emotionally it gives it gives Jim Broadbent way more to do than this scene word for word would have done and yeah it, and it conforms to the magic of Rowling's world. Uh this is the, the, the idea of the fish and the in the in the bowl and the flower that it dies when she yeah, died. Oh, that all is so powerful. that is all something that Rowling could have written. I'm surprised she didn't mm-hmm. um when I when I watched that scene. I, I think that when I read it this time I was left kind of just like, Oh, that was easy like there was like <laughs> yeah. very surfish like emotional turmoil for slughorn that again the book goes to many lengths to say is like he's not going to remember it harry got him drunk so it's really and it's like in the movie what i love about that moment from jim Broadbent is it's almost like harry has gotten him drunk and that's definitely played for laughs but the moment that slughorn starts to tell the story it's like he snaps out of it and he's suddenly very serious very sober. yeah he's very sober.
1: he sobers up yep yeah yep
0: Mm-hmm. And I,
2: I th- he's talking about a serious subject that he maybe wouldn't have ventured into if he were completely sober or had all of his faculties yes but it's important enough to him that he still makes that and the end result is the same he decides to give harry the unadulterated mm-hmm. memory
0: yeah i, I just think um, going deeper and giving having slughorn give a more concrete example of an interaction with lily has more of an impact than the general idea of Oh, Lily was great, and she was a good student, and I saw her all the time.
2: But but that's but that's something that that's something you also don't get in the movie as much as you do in the book. In the book, every time Harry makes a good potion, oh, those jeans are are awesome. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's a, the, he says to him in in the book again. The the book the the book subplot is you have your mother's eyes. Like, that is the book. You know, long burn seven book. <laughs> you know, whole mystery is Harry's eyes and uh, And he says it here in, in talking about Lily, so it is more subtle uh, than the movies can afford to be. Um, oh, I just
0: I think the movie's way more subtle on this one. But he, says, he, says,
2: <laughs> he says, "Be brave, be brave like my mother." you know, and he, he describes her as being brave when he's talking about her to Harry, and I, I do love it, but you're, you're right. I mean, the, movie, the movie's fine. the movie scene is fine, but I, I do like the book.
3: I do you like the way the book does it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and I, I have to point out... Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Go, go ahead, ahead Daniel. I was just going to say, again, I'm going to bring up ring composition, um, since it also exists within each book. Mm. I didn't look for this, but I'm pretty sure this would be the ring composition chapter to when we first see Voldemort's or Slughorn's fake memory, um, where Voldemort oh. like, tells him or asks about the Horcruxes. Because that shows Voldemort and Harry's similarity of Voldemort asking for, about Horcruxes, and then Harry kind of doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. um, except, and it shows their similarities and differences in how they go about it and why they're going about it.
2: Yeah, Voldemort, who never understood love, could not easily have appealed to Slughorn's love for his mother, um...
0: Yeah. Uh, unless Felix, unless he took Felix, and Felix was
2: like, <laughs> "Hey, say this." No, I
0: think that's a that's <laughs> a fabulous thing to point out because, uh, as we talked about in a previous episode that's harry does try that tactic where he does try to do it exactly like voldemort did it which was probably mm-hmm. the dumbest approach ever yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and it's even in, in actually in the movie i think
2: hey he went for shock and awe yeah.
0: i i love that i love that about <laughs> well, him yes. and I, like i'm just going to shock him into giving me everything i want and that's an, another one where i think the movie expands really well in the book because the movie has the ability to mirror the, the cinematography of the two scenes. So it yeah, shows exactly yeah. mm-hmm. what's going, what Harry's doing and why it's so mm-hmm. stupid. But it's, <laughs> there's also, I think that's important Danielle too, because there's rolling is very, very in a much more subtle way than order of the Phoenix is trying to remind us that there is a major connection between Harry and Voldemort and that there is a major thing that separates the two of them. Um, so I think that's that's that 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 was a perfect way to point that out. That Harry is trying Voldemort's way, and of course that won't work. And the one thing that's in him that Voldemort doesn't have, like you said, Eric, is love. Um, mm-hmm. And we're being very that's that's the one thing about that about Rowling's writing that is just excellent. Here, it's an amazingly subtle reminder and hint of what's to come. Mm. Yeah. All right, before we close up our discussion on this chapter, we have one more big question about it. We figure now is the time to ask about Felix Felicis because it will only have one more somewhat major use in the book and then we won't really see it again, (laughs) ever. So, time to ask. The mechanics of Felix Felicis are particularly strange, bringing up issues of fate and multiple conflicts with its use. Even with Rowling's explanation of the potion's history, she has managed to maintain the mystery of how exactly this potion implements its effects, and how far-reaching they are. So, how does Felix Felicis work? Is it capitalizing on predetermined fate, or can multiple paths be taken? And, as asked by our guest Danielle, what occurs when two people utilize Felix Felicis at the same time? If you have some answers or some theories for this question, please head over to alohamora.mugglenet.com where you can submit your thoughts on the podcast question of the week, and we will read some of your answers on next week's episode. We would like to,
2: at this time, thank our guest Danielle for coming on. Thank you, Danielle, so much.
3: Thank you for having me, guys. This was awesome.
2: Did you
0: have a good time?
3: Oh, I did. This was definitely a highlight of my podcasting life oh yay
0: <laughs> oh we're so glad well that so that makes that makes two muggle net podcasts you've been on then right
3: yeah but this one went a little better because the <laughs> muggle net academia one i was pretty quiet the oh, entire time
0: oh we're glad you spoke up oh, okay. well because you had some you yes. come out of your shell a little bit and...
3: <laughs> exactly you know oh,
0: good. <laughs> we're glad better. you spoke up because you had some really great thoughts to contribute
3: Oh, Definitely. thank you! I'm happy to. Have, oh, I'm so happy to have been on here.
1: <laughs> and if you would like to be on the show like Danielle, just check out our page at alohomora.mugglenet.com. All you need is a Apple headphones set, and you're good to go. You don't need any fancy equipment. While you're there, don't forget to download a ringtone for free.
0: And there are plenty of ways to get in touch with us here on Alohomora. You can start by going to at on Twitter uh that's where you can follow us as well as facebook at facebook.com/open the dumbledore we have a Tumblr account mn alohomora podcast we we have a number that you can call 206 go albus that number is 206-462-5287 and we also have one of our favorite ways to communicate with you audio boom which is you can actually find on the main site alohomora.mugglenet.com. there's a little button on the far right side and it's free to do an audio boom and submit one to us. All you need is a microphone so that you can record your own voice and send us your thoughts. Just make sure to keep them under 60 seconds, please, because that way we can fit them into the show.
2: And there is also the Alohomora store, which has so many different things to choose from like flip-flops and t-shirts and probably sweatpants. I'm just guessing at this point, (laughs) but there's house shirts, uh, a number of different designs you can choose from. Despig Mandrake Liberation Front, Minerva is my home girl. all of the greatest hits. You can take a copy of our home game. Uh, all of it is over at the Alohomora store. Uh, so many more things to choose from. Definitely go check that out. Our website, alohomora.mugglenut.com, and click on store.
1: And don't forget to check out our smartphone app, which is available on this side of the pond and the other. Prices may vary. You'll be able to find transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and much, much more.
2: Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. I want to thank you all and our guest again. Um, Nothing left to do but to say goodbye. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Michael Harley.
1: And I'm Kristen Keyes. Thank you for listening to episode 140 of Alohomora.
2: Your body may decay unless you open the door. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: I <laughs> <laughs>
1: Love saying the name.
2: <laughs> who said this, Michael? Who who read into us that, that happens to be on the show? Who who wrote in? Who made this huh? comment? What? Who,
0: who, what's the username? Hmm? Uh, I think it's Protego Myego. <laughs> oh,
2: that's not ego.
0: No, it's definitely Protego Myego.
2: Ego meaning self.
0: No, like yeah. ego, <laughs> as in Protego my, my Waffle. <laughs> 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 oh man, there's there's. The <laughs>
2: Oh, I remember what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> 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 Waffles. That oh, reminds yeah.
2: me. Waffles. Waffles. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You can hear the music playing. For some reason, in my mind, it's always Beach Boys. I don't know. Oh. I don't know what you guys hear. Maybe smooth jazz sometimes, or... Get Lucky. Some... Yeah, Get Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Let's crank up the Daft Punk uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> like the legend of the Phoenix. What? Oh, okay. All right.
1: Can I just say the dance move to get lucky is what Harry does with the pinchers, and you dance around like that.
0: <laughs> We're up all night to the sun. We're up all night to get lucky. We're up all night to get lucky. And I'm doing the hand motion. I don't know this song. Like it
3: might be like- <laughs> only. You, you gotta look it up. All right, all right. But, but yeah. first we have to podcast. Sorry. <laughs>
2: so, I'm up all night to get lucky